With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Farmers are embracing technology to aid their growing future. California growers are turning more consistently to technology to streamline tasks, address labor shortages, and increase water management efficiencies. More than 100 technology exhibits at the recent World Ag Expo in Tulare featured irrigation management software, autonomous sprayers, driverless tractors, and even flying fruit-picking robots. Tim Butcher, a Northern California grape grower and the CEO of autonomy tech firm, said he developed an autonomous tractor to cut his farming costs and bring, quote, technology to the crop because we're all trying to do more with less. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report. And now let's get into today's show headlines. The Department of Water Resources conducted its third snow survey at the Phillips Snow Station just days after a major storm swept the state. DWR's manager of snow surveys, Sean DeGuzman, with the totals. Uh, our survey today recorded a snow depth of 116.5 inches and a snow water content of 41.5 inches. That is 177% of average to date and 170% of the April 1 average. Our statewide snowpack is at 190% of average based on the automated snow sensor network. DeGuzman added these totals are near record-breaking. But after almost a month-long dry spell during February, uh, this last week brought a significant amount of rain and snow statewide, uh, especially in the southern and central Sierra Nevada. This snowpack actually rivals 1982 and 83, which is the largest snowpack on record. And in fact, the southern Sierra is actually outpacing, still outpacing 1983 to date. Um, and that's still with more snow on the way and another month of accumulating snow before we see that peak snowpack. The Southern Sierra actually has almost over two years worth of snow waiting to melt with more to come. Right now, statewide, our snowpack is really close to that 1983 total. So one of the largest snowpacks we've seen on record, but we do see a lot bigger snow in the Central and Southern Sierra, not as much in the Northern Sierra. Like I said, that picture isn't as pretty in that Northern Sierra and Southern Cascades. Right now, it is still above average, but it's nowhere near those record-breaking levels that we are seeing in the Southern Sierra, uh, especially it's needed in those areas where uh, we have the largest reservoirs here in the state and where a lot of that water is really needed. Another place the water is really needed in our groundwater basins. And even with all the record-setting snowpack in parts of the states, DeGuzman says one great water year won't fully recover those basins. It's understandable to see that we're all seeing all of this rain and snow and wondering, you know, what does this mean for the drought? You know, we typically wait until later in the rainy season to really assess our water supply outlook. Um, and the precipitation that California has received in the recent days combined with the uh, nine atmospheric rivers during December and January have really helped ease a lot of those drought impacts uh, in different parts of the state. While it's helped our snowpack and our reservoirs, our groundwater basins are a lot slower to recover. It takes more than a single wet year to really, to really recover a lot of those groundwater basins that have been critically overdrafted for so many years during this drought. The drought impacts really vary by location because California is such a large state. Drought recovery really needs to be evaluated on a regional scale and it really depends on your local water supply conditions. 
the governor's February 13th executive order actually directs state agencies to review and provide recommendations on the state's drought response by the end of April, uh, including possibly even terminating specific emergency provisions that are no longer needed. But that's really not until we have a better clarity of you know, what the hydrologic conditions are for the year once we get towards April and the end of April. And now here's Brian German with more Ag News. Calibrating drills is one of the key components of maximizing the value and efficiency of cover cropping. USDA research horticulturalist Eric Brennan said that because of the potential seed shortage issue, it's important to know when planting a cover crop, it's being planted at a good seeding rate. When myself and some colleagues were surveying a whole bunch of different fields through the Salinas Valley, it was incredible to see what a huge range of planting densities actually were occurring. And I thought, you know, is that because people don't know how to calibrate their drills or were they just, what was going on there? Because, you know, the range of seeds per square yard went from all the way down like 200 plants per square yard or so, all the way up to 900. And we don't want to waste seed, but we do want to make sure we get a good stand. So just knowing how to calibrate your drill and going for a good target seeding rate, making sure you don't waste seed by understanding your drill is very important. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at fels.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah leads a bipartisan effort to reform agricultural checkoff programs. Lee was joined by Democrats Carrie Booker, Kristen Gillibrand, and Elizabeth Warren, along with Republican Rand Paul, in reintroducing the Opportunities for Fairness in Farming Act. Among other things, the bill would prohibit checkoff programs from contracting with any organization that lobbies on agricultural policy. I talked with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Vice President of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane, about the organization's position on the bill. Yeah, this is a bill that has been introduced in uh, the last few Congresses um, by a, a kind of strange, uh, uh, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't see them on the same bill kind of group of leg- legislators uh, ranging from uh, Cory Booker uh, uh, from New Jersey, obviously a, a vegan uh, senator from New Jersey uh, who is curiously interested in how uh, you know protein uh, protein industry groups promote their product, um, as well as some folks on the far right that I, I like Mike Lee and uh, Rand Paul, um, who uh, have also taken an interest in these checkoff programs over the years. Uh, this bill gets introduced every Congress. Um, it never really gains support beyond these kind of disparate interests with uh, kind of varying uh, uh, reasons why they don't like uh, uh, agricultural commodity checkoff programs. Um, but it never really goes anywhere. It, it sort of gets introduced and then, uh, and then kind of sits in the background like, like a lot of other bills that, that don't have a lot of support in Congress. While NCBA is against the bill, the Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund, or RCAF, is for it. In fact, RCAF CEO Bill Bullard says 
The decades-old beef checkoff program is, quote, ill-suited to meet the needs of today's cattle farmers and ranchers. I asked Lane about that comment. Well, I, you know, I would just ask uh, Mr. Bullard to, to explain why beef demand is so high and has continued to be so high uh, over the past few years. Uh, you know, we, we always hear this criticism that the beef checkoff isn't effective, but um, we've been enjoying uh, record high beef demand for, for quite some time now, uh, even despite quite a bit of economic fluctuation in the economy. Uh, the, the, the fact is that there is growing and sustained interest in beef. Uh, consumers are, are, are liking what they see. They're looking for more of it. Um, and the beef checkoff and the promotion that they do uh, is a big part of that. So I, I, I just don't really, uh, I don't know that there's any evidence to support that. The, the simple fact is we have surging beef demand both here and around the world, and the beef checkoff uh, deserves a lot of credit for that. The issue of changing the beef checkoff was brought up previously in 2021, and producers voted it down. Lane explains. You know, th there was a referendum, and, and that was put in front of producers from coast to coast repeatedly over, I believe, 18 months. They had uh, not only uh, the full amount of time from the Department of Agriculture to secure signatures on that referendum, but they were given an extension uh, of more time to try to capture those signatures. Uh, and and the, uh, the result was less than 5% of, of producers elected to uh, lend their name to that petition. Um, so far below the threshold needed to, to trigger a referendum. Um, so that kind of speaks for itself that the vast majority of producers out there are pleased with the work the checkoff is doing. They're pleased with that investment and they're pleased with the results. Um, so uh, this is something that's been put in front of cattle producers from coast to coast very recently. Uh, and and we, we have, that, we have that, uh, uh, that lack of engagement on that referendum uh, to, to show for it. Lane expects the issue to continue coming up. Well, I, I don't think that the proponents of this bill are going away anytime soon. I mean, they are pretty, uh, they're pretty firm in their agenda to derail animal agriculture and, and, and shut that down as a business. Um, so we're going to keep seeing this come up year after year after year. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for AgNet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And in more agriculture news, the National Milk Producers Federation says FDA's proposal increases the need for Dairy Pride Act. For decades, the Food and Drug Administration has not enforced its standard of identity for milk, allowing plant-based imitators to use dairy terms. Late last month, the FDA released proposed guidance on the issue. Alan Birga, National Milk Producers Federation Senior Vice President of Communications, says the proposal is a good first step. It's a bit of a split decision. On the one hand, they have said that it is okay for these beverages to use the term milk for their oat, soy, almond, beverage, what have you. But more importantly for us, they're saying that if you use that, the guidance says you have to have disclaimers showing your nutritional differences from dairy. This is a big win for dairy because dairy has superior nutrition to these plant-based imitators. We expect this will have a positive effect in terms of transparency for consumers and for getting these dairy terms off products. It's still not enough, though. We still need to get these dairy terms away from these beverages. That's still the FDA standard of identity. Birka says the proposal reinforces the need for passage of the Dairy Pride Act. The next step is to push harder for the passage of the Dairy Pride Act, which has been introduced in the U.S. Senate. We expect it to be introduced in the House soon. This would push FDA to enforce its basic standard of identity. Remember, this guidance is only voluntary. And while we would expect a lot of companies to follow it, it still allows these terms on labels because FDA hasn't enforced 
its own rules for more than four decades. The Dairy Pride Act would require FDA to come up with a plan to enforce its standard of identity and bring U.S. practice in line with the rest of the world and not allowing these plant-based beverages to use dairy terms. He says there is more than what meets the eye, however, for dairy from this FDA proposal. FDA has accepted our basic argument that these beverages create confusion about the nutritional content of what is in their beverage because they use dairy terms. Consumer research shows that when you put milk on something, people think that it has a dairy nutritional profile. It does not. The FDA guidance helps clear this up, but the the logical conclusion of its acceptance of our argument is getting rid of these terms altogether on non-dairy products. And, And we think we're moving in the right direction. Dairy pride can help get us there. He encourages dairy farmers to comment on the FDA proposal. Anyone who's interested in commenting on this guidance for the FDA, this is a draft guidance that's open until April 24th for comment. They can go to nmpf.org. We have a red button on our homepage. You can click on it. You can learn more about how to comment for FDA and make your voice heard. And that's going to be important. This is going to be an issue that's going to get a lot of attention and a lot of comments. And supporters of dairy have to make sure that their voices are heard as well. Again, learn more at nmpf.org. Michael Clements reporting. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Ways you can prevent cancer through healthy foods. That's coming up on This Land of Hours. March is National Nutrition Month, and to kick things off, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is helping people build better eating habits with foods shown to prevent cancer. Cancer is the second leading cause of death in the United States behind heart disease. The Academy says while no cancer is 100% preventable, a healthy eating plan and regular physical activity can help reduce your risk of developing cancer. National spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, who is also a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and oncology nutritionist, says fruits, vegetables, and whole grains provide nutrients and dietary fiber that can help lower your risk of developing cancer in the long term. The Academy also recommends eating legumes, such as beans, peas, and lentils, to help lower your cancer risk. You can learn more about National Nutrition Month on their website at eatrightpro.org. Find a link on our website, agnetwest.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. A big issue when a farmer nears retirement is the sale of equipment. What are your options for dealing with equipment when you're getting out of farming without triggering a big tax bill? I'll be back in a moment with the details. Agriculture needs the next generation. Kansas State University's College of Agriculture prepares students through applied learning internships, and research. Learn more at ag.ksu.edu. 
I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. When nearing retirement from farming, many farmers structure a sale to a child or a neighbor as an installment sale. The thought is that having the buyer pay for the equipment over time will spread out the taxable gain over several years. But that's not typically the result with equipment sales. Often, significant depreciation has been taken on the equipment such that it has little to no income tax basis. When the equipment is sold, that depreciation is recaptured in the year of sale. All of it. It's not spread out over the life of the sale contract as the payments are received. And it's taxed at the seller's ordinary income tax rate. It's not capital gain. So what can you do to avoid this result? Sell the equipment piece by piece. This will spread the payments and the tax liability out over time, but it may not work well if equipment market values decline. Maybe you could contribute the equipment to a charitable remainder trust. Another option is to lease the equipment to someone. In the current market, however, maybe simply selling the equipment is an option to think about. Used equipment values are high right now, and tax rates might be lower now than they will be in the future. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. March Madness is not confined to just basketball. The grain and livestock trade have their own versions this month. I'm Mark Oppold. This is the Bottom Line Report for Monday, March 6th, brought to you by AgriLiquid. March is historically the month the grain and livestock trade wakes from their winter slumber and slower trade, and we get closer to spring. The March Crop Report comes this Wednesday. Then corn, soybean, wheat, and sorghum producers gather in Orlando, Florida for their Commodity Classic late week. The Black Sea Grain Agreement between Russia and Ukraine expires the 18th of this month in Russia, pushing some demands before they agree. And then the Prospective Plantings Report, what producers say they intend to plant, comes at the end of the month on the 31st. March Madness in the Grain Trade. AgriLiquid will be at Commodity Classic this week, booth number 2749. If you can't make it to Orlando, check out all the great products, and they say apply less, but expect more this growing season. Learn more at agriliquid.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. The Livestock Trades version of March Madness comes on the 17th of the month, the Cattle on Feed Report, and then the Quarterly Hog and Pig Report coming on the 30th. What a month in the grain and livestock trade. I'm Mark Oppel, wishing you a profitable day, a profitable week ahead. The Census of Agriculture, taken once every five years, looks at land use and ownership, operator characteristics, production practices, income, and expenditures. For America's farmers and ranchers, the Census of Agriculture is their voice, their future, and their opportunity. Joy Marshall of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service says the first due date for the census was February 6th. That was kind of the line in the sand that we drew, said, hey, we mailed this out to you, we sent you a reminder, you know, we want you to get it back by this date, and so now we're going after all the stragglers. So we had another mailing that went out, so if you haven't responded, send a little encouragement in the mail and say, hey, we still haven't got it. Still think it's really important that you respond. Here's another questionnaire. If you need more help, here's some numbers to call. We'll help you get this filled out. This year, Marshall says many individuals have been completing the survey online instead of sending it back in the mail. 
And I've heard more comments about that they did it online and it was so much easier because when you go in there, you can select the information that you have. So say you have cattle and hay and you don't have anything else. So you can select those and it jumps you to those sections and you get to skip the rest of the questionnaire. So it kind of makes it a little easier. It also sums up all the totals for you and, and it asks you some reminder questions. Hey, you're a couple acres short. Did you get everything in this? For those who have questions about the questionnaire, Marshall said there is a number provided on the census for customer service. Well, if they get stuck, whether online or on the questionnaire, there's a number on there for our customer service. They can call that. We have people that are on the other end of the line that can help them go through that. And they can contact any of our offices. It is a daunting questionnaire if you get it in the mail. It looks really, really crazy. And you're like, man, that's that's long. But, you know, it's very few people that would have something in every section. Information collected in the census, Marshall said, can be used to benefit producers through many avenues, such as future farm bills. This information, he adds, is used to make decisions in individual counties all the way up to Washington, D.C. This is their voice. Uh, This is producers' voices for their opportunity to say what's going on in agriculture, but it's also their opportunity for their future, too. Not just the future of these producers, but the next generation to come. This really gives data to influence ag for years to come. The data has been collected all the way back to 1860, Marshall says, so each year matters. If you have one of those straggling questionnaires, go ahead and fill it out and submit it via online or through the mail. NAFB contributed to that report. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. Let this be a forum to be a place of solutions and of hope. Each year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture holds a two-day outlook forum partially geared to look at what the new year is likely to bring to the folks who produce our food and to food shoppers. And what are the experts forecasting for this year? We'll take a look on this edition of Agriculture USA. I'm Gary Crawford. Just a little over a year ago, on the first day of USDA's two-day outlook forum last year, we were all shocked to hear this news. The full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia's military is underway. 
Domestic and global supplies of grain were restricted and prices, already high because of COVID supply chain issues and other factors, soared to record highs. Prices for fertilizers and fuels also skyrocketed. But U.S. farmers as a whole came out of it with record high net incomes, along with record export sales around the world. So what are the pundits predicting for 2023? Here's a sample. All the prices that we're looking at for the major crop commodities down year over year. All regions of the country are expected to see lower cash receipts and higher production expenses. But we'll have income that is better than the average. Food at home prices will continue to increase. Sustained so those were the basic themes fleshed out by several experts, chief among them USDA's chief economist, Seth Meyer. Since over 20% of what U.S. farmers produce ends up being exported, and for some crops it's more like 50%, then farm income depends a lot on good foreign sales. And after a record-breaking ag export year in 2022, Seth Meyer is forecasting exports dipping a little bit year over year. Meyer told the Outlook Forum that U.S. ag exports this fiscal year would amount to $184.5 billion, down $5.5 billion from last year. A number of factors contributing to the lower exports, including generally lower commodity prices and a strong U.S. dollar. And so a reasonable question might be, will the nation's farm sector be able to somehow generate a third straight year of record net income in 2023? And Seth Meyer's answer, no but it will still be an above-average year. Meyer said he expects net cash farm income this year to be $150.5 billion, which would be down almost 23% from last year's record. Reasons? Commodity prices falling, input prices rising but slower, government payments pulling back. Meyer says, of course, when you boil it down... For a producer, what's going to matter here is how do your input prices follow those output prices down? We are forecasting that fertilizer and feed expenses will decline in 2023, yet they will remain high. That's USDA economist Carrie Litkowski, and she expects fuel expenses to fall by about 15 percent, rents by about 8. Fertilizer prices might drop at only about 1 percent, but expenses for most everything else expected to increase, including interest expenses. They are expected to see the largest dollar increase up about 22% from last year. And this reflects expectations of higher interest rates and debt levels. Carrie said we haven't talked much about farm debt in recent years, but it could be more of a topic this year. She said in general, because of rising land prices, the value of farm equity is going to rise this year by 2%. But debt is forecast to increase 3%. She said one of the best gauges of the strength of the farm economy is to compare debt to assets or debt to farm equity and get a ratio of one to the other. These so-called solvency numbers give us information on the ability of farmers to pay off their debts. And Carrie told the forum, We're expecting that the rate of growth for debt will be greater than the growth in assets. Not a big problem, but she says something to watch. That's for the folks then who produce our food. What about those of us who will buy that food at the grocery store? Last year, we saw... A massive shift in terms of food prices. That's Ag Department economist Matt McLaughlin. He says grocery store food ended up rising by just under 11.5% last year. It's the highest level of food price inflation since 1979. McLaughlin says right now prices for raw farm commodities are down a little bit, so are fuel prices, but he says don't expect food prices to drop this year. We are predicting that food at home prices will continue to increase. 
albeit at a slower rate than they did in 2022. So instead of about 11.5%, prices may rise an average of about 8.5%. So looks like farmers this year will generate a little less income from their farms. Consumers will continue to spend a little more for food at the store. And we are out of time. We've spent it all. You've been listening to Agriculture USA. I'm Gary Crawford, reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. What GMO crops are grown and sold in the U.S.? Well, there's corn, like me, soybeans, canola, sugar beets, and cotton. Typically, we're ingredients in certain foods. GMO alfalfa, corn, soybeans, canola, and cotton are used as animal food. And while you won't find many GMOs in the produce section, there are versions of GMO apple, summer squash, potato, and papaya in a few markets. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. For today's interview segment, I chat with one of the World Egg Expo top 10 new product winners. Nadine Pessonen, and I'm the CEO of Quantory. Very nice, Nadine. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today here on the grounds of the International Agri Center for the World Egg Expo 2023. Um, can you go ahead and give me a brief overview of what your product is and what it does? So the product is really simple. We are preventing hay fires. So we have a product that's composed of hay probes. They are wireless probes. They are one foot long probes that are inserted inside the haystack at the time of storage. And these magical probes, they are measuring the temperature of hay every hour, really deep inside the haystack. And they are sending the data to a base station that then sends the data to the cloud. And the farmer at home in his tractor, anywhere, he can follow what's happening inside the haystack. And if the temperature is too high, then it's going to get a SMS alert. So you have your product in your hand, but folks who are listening to us, they can't quite see it. So can you describe what this product looked like? Uh, so I have the probe in my hand. It's orange, so that when it's inserted inside the haystack, it can, it's really well visible. Uh, it's, as I said, it's about like, what would be the length of that? Tell me. Yeah, uh, 12 inches or so, a foot? Yeah, a foot. I think it's a foot, yes. So, yeah, it's like it looks like a long nail. It does. It's a nail. It's, uh, it's, it's really robust. It's orange. It's, you can insert it inside like the square hay bales or the round hay bales. Now, we're in the agriculture industry and the needs are ever evolving. But as it evolves, so does the needs of the producers. So what was the need that you guys saw when creating and developing this product? Well, I'm myself actually from like uh, the ag tech industry or like, I'm, uh, you know, my brother is a farmer, my parents are the farmer, my grandparents are farmers and so and so and so. And unfortunately, my brother's hay barn burned down like due to hay fires like 10 years ago. Mm. And myself as an electrical engineer, then I had, to dis I had to do something because I saw like how, what type of trauma he went through. You know, everything was gone in basically a couple of minutes. He had lost everything. He had just taken over the farm from my parents. So we had to do something. 
And then we realized that this, this issue of hay fires is really global. It's everywhere. And, you know, like we are here in California, and California has the highest number of hay fires in the United States. So that's how we started the product. We tested it. We demonstrated that it's really great product. We have 2,000 users right now, and that's, that's how it works, yes. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know what? My family were far, or dairy farmers, third generation, and um, we have not been devastated by a hay fire. However, we are very familiar with hay fires and how they devastated our neighbors' um, farming operations. So you're right when you say that this is critically important, especially to the folks here in California. Um, I'd like to end on a, a really high note and talk about the future of your company and this product and how it fits in with the future of the ag industry. Yeah, sure. Well, first, we don't, we don't stop at the hay fires. What we are looking at really is the quality of hay. That's the most important, quality, quality, quality of hay. So if we can bring like the right quality to the dairy farmers, then you know what's going to happen. Then, you know, the, the, the cows feel better. They have the well-being of the cows. They're going to be produced better milk and more milk. And that's what with our system, not only we can prevent hay fires, but we can give the quality index on each single hay bales so that when the farmer is going to be using the hay bale, then he knows exactly, you know, what's the quality he's giving at the time of feed. So this is really what we want at the end of the day. Is there anything else that you might like to add that we didn't talk about in reference to the product? Yeah, absolutely. So we monitor hay, but we don't stop here. There are like so many organic materials that are suffering from fermentation. So we have commodities, you have almonds, you have grain. We measure, we monitor as well like side product, byproduct. We also have like waste monitoring. So anything that's stored, we monitor it. If alfalfa growers, hay balers, or if dairymen want to find out more information on how to get their hands on this product or just about your company in general, where can they go? Uh, well, if they can go to our website. It's really simple. It's called haytechsystem.com. We are based here in California. We have the office in California, so we are here local. But haytechsystem.com. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, thanks a lot. That's been a pleasure being here. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. State and federal support for ag research could remain stronger than expected this year. 
UC A&R Vice President Glenda Humiston said there had been some concern about potential cuts in funding support. But our budget in the state legislature is right now slated in the governor's budget for a 1% increase. Now, of course, 1% won't keep up with inflation, but it's certainly far preferable to being flat or even suffering a cut. So we're really thrilled the governor recognized the importance of agricultural research and gave attention to it. Because again, it could have very easily been held flat. Federally, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. A lot of what we're hearing from staffers back in Washington, D.C. is to expect a pretty similar farm bill to the past. No big, huge programs. But on the other hand, not necessarily any big cuts either. The farm bill and agricultural policy, both statewide and nationally, seems to be one of the few areas which is still relatively bipartisan in its support. So that's great for us. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Celine is to be the host for the first ever Biological Summit. Registration has begun for the Salinas Biological Summit. The summit will provide an opportunity for growers to increase their awareness of available biological solutions for their operations, as well as provide an opportunity for networking for ag business and ag startups to connect. Event speakers include Dave Puglia, the president and CEO of Western Growers, Julie Henderson, who's the director of the California Department of Pesticide Regulation, Don Cameron, the vice president and general manager of Terra Nova Ranch, Pam Marone, CEO and founder of Chestnut Bioadvisors, Scott Kumar, SVP of Global R&D at Driscoll's, and California Food and Ag Secretary Karen Ross. Ross noted, quote, this is an incredibly important and timely summit that focuses on an area that needs much more attention, planning and coordination of next-gen tools so we can ensure bountiful production of horticulture crops so critical to health and nutrition. And Dennis Donahue, who's the director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, said, quote, for Western Growers members, biologicals have become a significant issue. The 2023 Salinas Biological Summit will provide the platform to share knowledge, insights, and best practices to address the opportunity. The summit will be held June 20th through the 21st at the Monterey Bay Salinas Center. The summit will be held June 20th through the 21st at the Monterey Bay Salinas City Center. For more information, you can visit the Western Growers website. A drop in organic ag commodity sales per the most recent annual numbers issued by USDA. Yet economic researcher Sharon Raskap-Skurbiansky cautions reading too much into the 4% decline in organic product sales in 2021. 2020 was an anomaly year. 2021 sales are still higher than those from 2019. We have to keep into consideration the macroeconomic context, the way that it affected consumers' budgets, as well as historical growth in organic retail sales and the continued consumer interest in organic foods. While certified organic acreage was down in 2021, the number of organic Organic farms increased year over year. As for the value of organic products, in 2021, the value of certified organic agricultural products surpassed $11 billion. There were increases in value in most of the top valued commodities like apples and corn for grain, as well as eggs. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. As farm bill discussions continue taking place, many industry groups are highlighting the need for additional investment to maintain strong export markets for ag commodities. Initiatives such as USDA's Market Access Program are instrumental in supporting U.S. ag exports, but funding has been largely flat. President and CEO of California Citrus Mutual, Casey Kramer, said that funding to keep those markets viable is critical in a global marketplace. 
Yeah, we've got to continue to be at the table in all of those export markets. And there's a coalition to double the funding to on those export markets. If you're not at the table and continuing to press in those markets, other countries are now coming in and trying to take away that market share. So sometimes it's just keeping the share that you have going overseas is a win. And more funds are needed to help expand that and get it access to more markets and maintain those markets. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Polls show rising consumer worries about rising food prices. New consumer polls are showing an increase of concern about rising food prices. USDA's Gary Crawford talks with Andy Herring with the Food Industry Association in this next report. Right along with rising food prices, consumer worries are continuing to rise. Andy Herrick with the Food Industry Association. His group does a lot of consumer polls, the latest one done the second week of February. And Herrick told USDA's recent Outlook Forum. 48% of respondents to this poll told us they are extremely concerned about increases in food prices. And that's up, again, from 40% in October. So that's a pretty significant increase. There's also an increase in the number of consumers worried they won't have the money for their basic food needs. Some of this is the end of federal aid, so people have less money. You're starting to see people driving up credit card debt. Personal savings are going down. But this is concerning for us as an industry that people are feeling these pressures. Again, it's not just that they're paying more, but they're actually worried about if they're going to be able to afford food. Meanwhile, food prices continue to rise, and Harrig says... We think it's going to take a while for these prices to moderate. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And Herring goes on to talk more about the results from a recent poll of food shoppers. 76% of consumers are concerned about the rising prices and their ability to um, afford this. And one of the concerning parts here is if you, you talk to them and you say, are you concerned about having enough money to afford the food you need? Not the food you want, the food you need. That has increased from 35% to 43% over the course of five months. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.